All right, this is our second lesson on biblical grace, and this lesson is entitled Multifaceted Grace, and that is a critical, critical understanding. If you've been here any length of time, we've pulled out that giant, it's actually a 110-carat diamond that I have, I bought as a prop, it's a glass diamond, and we look at that diamond and we see how many different facets make up a diamond. If you just have one or two facets, that's not a diamond, that's a piece of plate glass. You got six diamonds, or six facets, it's not a diamond, it's a prism. You have more than that, and I don't know what it is, but it's still not a diamond. And so all the things of God are so rich, we need to be willing to evaluate the different facets of it. We as Christians can't build doctrine on just one or two verses. Uh, The Bible says at the least by two or three witnesses is every word established. And so when we talk about grace, we need to look at the multifaceted grace of God because there isn't just one kind of grace. According to the Bible, there's a saving grace. There's a grace to give. There's a grace for ministry. There's a grace to the Jews. There's a grace to the Gentiles. There's a grace that teaches us to abstain from fornication and ungodly lust. It's a lot of different graces. And so we just need to understand it so that as Christians, we're called to operate and to grow in the grace of our Lord. But if there's only one grace, well, that's pretty, probably pretty easy to grow in. But what if it's multifaceted? If it's multifaceted grace, then you can't ever stop and say, I've got the corner market on grace. And that's why we continue to increase in the grace of God. So let's jump into our our lesson here, and uh, we'll teach along the way. Like God himself, the grace of God has many facets. Aren't you glad about that? God is infinite. He literally has infinite facets, and we'll get to spend all of eternity getting to know his goodness. We must study these facets to make full use of God's grace in our life. If all you ever know is one facet of grace, that's great, but you're missing out on a lot of other opportunities. We also need to understand this about grace. Uh, Grace doesn't really care what you like. The grace of God will come upon you to do things you probably don't like. I'm thinking of Gideon now. The Lord appears to Gideon and says, you mighty man of fearless valor which is basically him recognizing, I'm called to kill people. And, and Gideon says, are you sure you got the right guy? Because I'm the least of the least. I'm the least of my tribe. My tribe's the least in Israel. And of my tribe and my family, I'm the runt of Israel. Are you sure you've got the right guy? And the angel says, you're a mighty man of fearless valor. That's a military term. So then the angel, uh, the, Gideon tells the angel, if I have really found grace in thy sight... Wait here. So apparently the grace of God came upon him to go kill uh, the Midianites, and he didn't like it. But yet he recognized if the grace of God's upon me, I've got to obey. And so we in modern America, we think we get to serve God as we choose. And when that's the case, you don't ever go very far for God. But if you, choose, if you serve God as he chooses and dictates and anoints and graces, then you get to learn a life, uh, live a life of always putting your flesh under and always saying, all right, Lord, what would you have me do next? Amen. If you're gonna serve God, you've gotta realize you haven't dreamed far enough for your life that, that could ever touch God's dream for your life. Unfortunately, we as Americans, we've been taught to dream our own life up. And then walk that out. Well, typically, an American can dream only about five years into the future. All right, good. So now you're 25. What are you going to do with the next 70 years of your life? Don't tell me you peaked when you were 25. Don't tell me you peaked when you were 45. There is yet more land to possess. So if you know the grace of God as you serve him, new graces will come upon you, new abilities. And sometimes it's going to be something like you don't even care. 
You're not, you're not even interested at all. I remember uh, Brother Sumrall told the story that when he was in his 70s, the Lord spoke to him in Israel and said, I want you to feed the hungry. And that involved cargo ships and a Hercules C-130 aircraft. And he said, Lord, why would you give that to me now? I'm, I'm, I'm old. There's much younger guys out there to be done. And he wasn't saying I won't do it for you, but he was just realizing I'm in my 70s or so. And this, that's a big thing to tackle when most folks are playing golf every day. And the Lord told him, he said, you're just now in a place where I can trust you. So even in his 70s, there's a new facet of grace coming upon his life. Because you can't own cargo ships and maintain a Hercules C-130 aircraft without the grace of God. You can't even obtain one without the grace of God and President Ronald Reagan signing off on it and approving it for you which is what happened for him. So that's why we have to understand these multifacets of the grace of God, because if not, you'll think your calling was done when you hit 65 and AARP came a-knocking, and, and then it was time to just coast and do nothing. Just because the American culture teaches retirement doesn't mean God's grace does. There's only so much gardening that can be done. And Matlock to be watched. I met this week with a bunch of pastors and one of them is a local Presbyterian pastor who's been ministering in our area for 38 years. And we were joking about stuff and I said, sir, he's got a whole bunch of PhDs and THDs and masters and whatnot. I said, uh, I said, I tell my church, a young preacher is an old Christian's worst nightmare because I'm just getting going and old Christians are looking to stop. And there's no stop until you take your last breath. And there's a grace for that too. Not just taking your last breath, but to keep going. All right, enough of that. Grace as a special ability. Now, we, just, we started off last week by talking about grace and starting to define it. But let's look at all these different facets of grace here. Often in the Bible, grace is used to describe an ability one has been given in the body of Christ to advance and further the kingdom of God in the earth. These endowments of grace are called gifts. I mean, that's very critical. Or as the original Greek calls it, charisma. And we understand charisma. We're called charismatics because it comes from the Greek word gifts. And so we're called charismatics, or some churches are. I don't know what we're called anymore because we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. But biblically, every Christian has charisma or charisma, charismatic gifts, because it's not just tongues and healing. It's a whole bunch of other things we're going to see in this lesson. The original Greek calls them a gift of divine grace or a grace deposit. That's what the Greek calls it. So it's not just limited to tongues, prophecy, discerning of spirits, interpretation of tongues, a special faith, working of miracles, etc. It could be a special grace just to take a mission trip. It could be a special grace to have mercy on the poor. We'll see that here in a moment. Mercy is a grace endowment. Some folks have abundant mercy more than others do. Some of us, we, we seem to operate in the gift of murder or <laughs> temper, or caveman, and others just ooze grace, or excuse me, mercy all the time. Let's look at our verse here, Romans 12. For as we have many members in one body, think about that. Our church is only about 200 people. That's many members in this local body. That includes the babies and a couple of cockroaches. That's 200 members. <laughs> and all members have not the same office or the same job. Isn't that awesome? Not every member in the body has the same job. Even in our church, which is a microcosm of the kingdom, we don't all have the same job in here. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. See, we have charisma or we have grace deposits differing according to the grace that is given unto us. I don't have a grace to sing. And that's a good thing because you don't want me to try to find that grace. Uh, uh, somebody, other people do. 
I have a grace for administrations and governments and teaching and pastoring. I, I don't have so much a grace for evangelism, though I'm called to evangelize just like you are. But we all have different parts and different roles to play. One thing I really don't have grace for is a baby ministry or a toddler ministry. But some of you, you just ooze grace and the ability to care for the babies, to care for toddlers. And so it's critical that you recognize what your grace is. And sometimes it's not what you want it to be. I was just telling Mr. Morales about our curriculum. I said, when I went to Bible school, I told the Lord, I hate writing. I hate it with all of my heart. I hated it in college. I hated it in English. I hated it in technical writing. I hated it in English lit, British lit. I hate it, hate it, hate it. And the Lord didn't care because I still had to write all these papers to graduate from Bible school. And the Lord, he, he never answered me because he doesn't argue with foolishness. He doesn't argue at all. He's always right and you're always wrong. Let God be true and every student a liar. And so now that apparently is a grace. In fact, I, I tell this from time to time, I've done those spiritual gift tests because I have an understanding of grace gifts. And every time I take the spiritual gift test, which is nothing but pop psychology of the 60s coming into the Jesus movement of the 70s and trying to come up with something that make a psychologist feel important to the body rather than a real grace gift and not education. Every time I take those spiritual gift tests, everything I qualify for, everything I should be doing, I'm not doing. Everything that I rank the lowest on is what I do mostly for the kingdom. And I always rank the lowest at writing. And, and the, the, according to the psychological, spirit, spiritual gift test, my weakest gift in the body is writing. And yet it's 90% of what I do for the kingdom. And I got other friends that tell me I need to do more. Not that I'm bragging on that because it takes a lot of work and a lot of time. But it just goes to show you, just because you're gifted in something doesn't mean your natural propensity will be to enjoy it. And the Lord doesn't care. He didn't argue with Moses. Moses made him mad. He didn't argue with Gideon. Gideon just kind of proved him a little bit. He doesn't argue. He just says, do it. And we have to rise up and do it because that's the grace of God. So then having gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, not according to your liking, not according to your upbringing, not even gifts according to your training, but gifts given by who? Jesus, by God, according to his will and wisdom. Whether it be prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith or ministry. That means being a, being a servant. Let us wait on our servitude or he that teaches on teaching or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that rules with diligence and he that shows mercy with cheerfulness. This is a list of several grace gifts, but it's not an all-inclusive uh, list. Uh, this is a li limited list of different grace jobs in the body of Christ. So it's prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhorting, giving, ruling, and extending or showing mercy. We are all called to do all of these, right? We're all called to prophesy. We're all called to serve or be in a ministry of some kind, to, to, to serve one another. Every one of us is called to teach, teach the gospel, teach your children. Every one of us is called to exhort one another. Hebrews says exhort one another while it's called today. Every one of us is called to give, Right? Every one of us is called to rule. And that means to rule your life, rule your home, or to lead. Every one of us is called to show mercy. But this passage lets us know that there are uh, extra special endowments that some people, they just ooze mercy. Some people, they could teach. You could toss them a car mechanics book. They don't know anything about cars, and in five minutes, they can teach the whole book because there's an extra special grace. Some folk, we're all called to give, but some folks, it's like they just live to give. They care nothing about money, but they have this gift that allows them to make money hand over fist, and they just give it into the kingdom. 
And we see that there's these different endowments that God gives upon us and to us. And we're just finding that race, finding that lane and excel in it. Too many times as Americans, we're too American and we want to stick with what we were taught to dream or like in middle school. And what you have to do is be able to just kind of see where you keep defaulting to in life because that's probably what God has for you. I could try to push my life or even this church one direction or another direction, but it's just not the will of God. I have to do what the grace of God is calling us to do. And you've got to know what those graces are on your life because that's what God wants you to be doing. Nothing worse than a hand that demands it be a foot. I've often, watching our little girls learn to walk, I often wonder if mommy and daddy were gymnasts or maybe Chinese gymnasts and we walked around on our hands all day, would our girls grow up trying to think they should walk on their hands? Maybe. I think so. If we scooted all day, I think maybe our kids would, this is how we get around. The reason the hand and the body of Christ demands it wants to be a foot is because it watches the world's feet too much. And perhaps the reason the, the body of Christ's foot wants to be an ear is because it's, it's watching the world's ears too much. Rather than looking unto our author and finisher, Jesus Christ, and saying, Lord, what have you made me to be? And you may be insistent upon being a farmer, threshing wheat in a dugout wine press for fear like Gideon, and the Lord come along and say, I have not called you unto fear. I've called you to be a military general. Are you sure? Get up and do what I've called you to do. And it began a growing process. All right. Each of us will excel at one or more of these areas, but that is because we have received a special deposit of grace in that area. This is what is meant when we talk about a grace gift. First Peter 4, 9 through 11 says, use hospitality. This is another list of grace gifts, by the way. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Aren't we all called to be hospitable? Absolutely. But we know some folks are just more hospitable than others. Honestly, in the body of Christ, if you want promotion, you have to be hospitable. According to 1 Timothy 3, you will never see leadership without being given to hospitality. If you're insistent upon being a hermit, God will never promote you because the body of Christ and ministry is all about people and helping people. And one of the best places to help people is by opening your home. Jesus would resort there to, to the Bible calls the house. They think it's Peter's house and people would come and gather there. After Jesus would preach to the multitudes, a group of disciples would follow him and he would be hospitable to them in private. We're all called to be hospitable, but we know some folks are just given to it. They build a house with multiple rooms just so they can house people because they're just given to hospitality. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, there's our word charisma, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold or multifaceted grace of God. Notice as you have received the gift, you're commanded to minister it to each other. You've not been given a grace gift to pimp it, Amen. right? I recognize when I was in college and I taught labs, I taught geology labs. I recognized in college, I said, whoa, I got a crazy thing for teaching. And I could take it. I could, I could make anybody. You know, when, you, when you're teaching entry-level classes, you have people in there who don't want to be in there, but they have to be in there because their major demands it. 
I had this crazy ability as a 20, 21, 22-year-old to get even the football players who were not interested in rocks and mineral and environmental geology and L-napples and D-napples and hydrology, I could get them to like it. And I remember going, this must be a gift from God. This is really trippy. And then I realized I probably have not been given it to make money off of in the world, though I probably could if I wanted to. You've been given a grace gift to benefit the body. And that's why it's so critical you find out what that gifting is so the body's benefited. If Miss Carrie has a gift and she sits on it or buries it like the uh, parable of the steward with the talent, God will judge her and he's gonna come and say, what have you done with that grace gift I gave you? Well, I got scared and I was afraid to grow it and I just don't like people. But I can tell I'm supposed to be hospitable, but I just don't like people, so I buried it. And the Lord will say, you wicked and unprofitable servant. You didn't do anything with what I gave you. And that's why it's critical. We find out what our grace is. And I can't tell you enough. It's probably not going to be what you want it to be. Now, if it is, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. But at some point, you're also going to find he puts a grace on you that you never saw coming and you maybe never asked for. And he's going to prove you to see, are you really a servant? Because servants don't care what they do. They just want to serve. They say, well, what is that to me? I've done that, which is my duty. All right, you're awfully quiet. Are you upset because I'm destroying your dreams? <laughs> because when you serve God, you have the best life imaginable. You guys know my testimony. I never thought I'd pastor. This is not my dream. I enjoyed a lot though. My dreams, they got flushed down the toilet 10 years ago. So I'm actually coasting on no dreams right now and I'm doing pretty good. When I was chasing dreams, my life was miserable because it was never the will of God. It was things I made up in Seattle, things I made up in Baton Rouge, things I made up as a kid chasing heathen friends. And now that I have no dream, I just look unto Jesus and it's a pretty dreamy life. Not that you shouldn't have ambitions, not that you shouldn't have goals, but they should be based on the word and prayer. Amen. If any man speak, let me go back and read that. As good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God, we're going to be judged as stewards over what we did. For me, it's evident I have a writing grace and I'm always trying to get better. If I sit on that, I'm gonna be judged. If you have a singing grace and you sit on it, you're gonna be judged. If you have an administrative grace for the kingdom and you sit on it, you're going to be judged. If you have an exhortation or an exhortative grace and you don't exhort one another, you'll be judged. We have to use these graces. God didn't give them to us because he's like, eh, I got nothing else to do with all these bottles of graces. So let's just give them away. He did it with a divine purpose in mind. It's very critical that you discover what it is through prayer, through Bible study, through just serving in the local church and find out what you're kind of given to or what the Lord's talking to you about. If any man speak, goes on to list some graces, let him as speak as the oracles of God. We know some, some Christians, they are great public speakers. They are great public ministers. And you can tell it's a grace gift because in private, they're very shy and maybe awkward but they get in a pulpit or they get in a public arena and this grace activates on them. We might even call it an anointing. And you think, my God, you, why are you so shy and private? Because that's just who I am. What's that I just saw in the pulpit? That's what God is. And again, if they were given their druthers, they'd never stand in front of anybody publicly. But they don't get to serve their druthers. They get to serve their Lord and Savior. So some folks have a speaking gift. If any man minister, there's the word servant again. Let him do it as the ability which God gives him. We've all got a different ability. That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, 
to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Here are a few more grace jobs listed. The grace of God is described here as being multifaceted or manifold. That lets us know that there are more jobs in the kingdom than just hospitality, speaking, ministering, prophesying, teaching, exhorting, giving, ruling, and showing mercy. There's a lot more than that. There's so many jobs in the kingdom, we couldn't think that just one list would do it. You know, that doesn't, And maybe we can sum up some of them under ministry or servant. Maybe because there's obviously a grace for toddlers. There's a grace for youth. You know, the Bible doesn't ever once talk about a youth minister, but we know they're critical. The Bible doesn't ever talk about, um, I don't know, a puppet grace, but there are some folks that are just really anointed to do puppets for children's ministry. Uh, there's a grace to write children's music. There's a grace to write adult music. These are different graces within, and there's no, there's no, there's no worship grace listed here, but we know that there certainly are people who are graced to lead worship and write music when others are not. And so it's not, an, I say that to say it's not an inclusive list. And you say, well, I don't have any of those. I guess God doesn't need me. No, it's not an exclusive list. Go out there and figure out what it is. Each member of the body of Christ has a different grace given unto them based upon what God has called them to do and to be in his body. Aren't you glad your earlobe has the grace it has to be an earlobe? And aren't you glad your tongue does what it's designed to do and it doesn't try to be an elbow? And you do look really if you're trying to always prop yourself up with your tongue. <laughs> and aren't you glad your pancreas doesn't want to be your heart? And to this end, actually, Pastor John Osteen used to say, find what your gifting is as a minister and stay there. That's what, that's what God's going to build it upon. Whatever your gifting is. Where we fail is when we try to be something we're not. And it takes a lot of work. And when you try to be something you're not, you have to promote yourself. And self-promotion is exhausting. Just ask Don King. It turned his hair gray very early. Made it stand straight up. And, he <laughs> and questioned his character. <laughs> For this reason, we are not to compare ourselves among ourselves. I can't emphasize that enough. Paul said, if we compare ourselves among ourselves, we're unwise. You have to realize God has made everybody different in the body of Christ. And it's a beautiful thing. I'm glad I'm not like Alan and I'm glad Alan is not like me because the kingdom needs an Alan and the kingdom needs a me. Amen. All right, now let's look at some examples here. Paul's grace versus Peter's grace. Galatians 2, 7 through 9. But contrarywise, Paul writing, when they saw that the grace of the uncircum excuse me, the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that worked effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me towards the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. Notice the difference here. Peter and Cephas and James and John, they recognized their grace to preach to the Jews. And at the same time, they being apostles and pillars, they recognized that Paul and Barnabas have a grace they didn't even think existed, which was preached to the Gentiles. Remember, Peter still hung up on that rooftop saying, I'm not preaching to anything unclean. I ain't feeding nothing that's dirty. And the Lord's having to argue to him, with him in a vision. And so they're probably thinking, thank God we don't have to go to the Gentiles. And often you can tell when it is your grace and when it's not your grace, because when somebody else has it, you say, thank God it's not me. <laughs> And then when you think about what God's called you to do, you think, thank God it is me. I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. 
I, I don't like to, well, I like doing missions. That's a big grace I have, but I couldn't travel every week like Dr. Barclay does or like some of our traveling ministry friends do. I don't have that grace. How do you do it? They're just grace to do it. At the same time, folks look at me and say, thank God I don't pastor. What do you have to put up with, Pastor Chris? Not much. The grace absorbs most of it. Occasionally, something gets through and I want to kill it or thump it or push it off a cliff. But then I just have to pray and say, Lord, have mercy on me. Maybe that's the angel of Satan sit to buffet me. <laughs> Notice very clearly in this, in this meeting here in Galatians uh, that's referenced, all these apostles, all these great men of God can recognize Paul and Barnabas have this thing on them that really works with the Gentiles. And they seem to say, we don't have that. So you go, be blessed, and win those Gentiles. Win the uncircumcised. And Paul and Barnabas said, you know what? You guys got something to the Jews, and you guys go and do it. If you study the, the life of Paul through the book of Acts, you'll find out the Lord's calling was to the Gentiles and to nations and to kings, and then finally to Israel. And every time, so his calling is first Gentiles, Paul, Acts chapter 9. Paul's calling is first to the Gentiles, and the last on the list of four is the Jews. But everywhere Paul went, he went to the synagogues first, and he reversed his grace. And who gave Paul the most trouble everywhere he went? The Jews, because he was violent. He was not in his grace. He was not, he was, because, and as he said in Romans 9, he said, my heart and will is that the Jews be saved. I wish that I was cut off if it would save the Jews. But he kept affecting his own grace. And so who ran him out of town everywhere he went? The Jews. Who tried to kill him every time? The Jews. He went to Jerusalem to try to fix James in the early church. Who tried to kill him? The Jews. Did he ever get to preach? Not once. That just lets you know, find your lane and stay in it. And trust God that he's big enough that he's got a hundred other lanes that can do what you think you want to do. Amen. Here, Paul's grace and Peter's grace were different. Paul was called to the Gentiles. Peter was called to the Jews. They had different techniques in evangelism, but they were doing the same job, winning people to Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul did have some success because the word of God never returns void, but the biggest hassle and the most misery that was brought upon him was when he got out of his lane, he got out of his grace and did what his heart so desired to do, you got to know he said, I was the Hebrew of the Hebrews, circumcised the eighth day according to the tribe of Benjamin. It was just in his heart. And the Bible says in Proverbs, you can't trust your heart. If you do so, you're a fool. It's desperately wicked. You have to find the grace that God's given you and then embrace that thing. Now, uh, seven years, eight years into pastoring and writing, I actually enjoy writing, but it takes a lot. It's taken eight years to learn to like it. And I can't emphasize to you using myself as a personal example, how much I loathed and hated writing. I can't emphasize it enough. And yet the Lord never said, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know you didn't like it. If I'd have known you didn't like it, I'd have never asked you because that would require you to change your heart and fix your attitude. And we don't want that. We want you to stay the same. The Lord never said that. He never said anything. He just said, do it. I remember my wisdom was, I remember the apartment, I was looking out the window over the reflecting pond crying, saying, God, I hate writing. This is dumb. I don't want to write a five-page paper on the rapture. This is stupid. But then I remember going, well, you know, the Lord called me to this Bible school a year and a half ago. And he probably knew a year and a half ago that in calling me here, they were going to expect me to write papers. 
He probably knew in advance all the requirements and he probably already knew I hate writing. And yet he still called me. So evidently he doesn't care about my likes or dislikes that much. I say that because maybe some of you, God's called you and graced you to do stuff and your upbringing doesn't permit you to like it. So you change your upbringing. Okay, we'll move on to the Macedonian grace now because that was a very weak denominational response. 2 Corinthians 8.1. Moreover, brethren, we want you to know of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. If that was me receiving that letter, I would want to say, why did God give it to them and not us? I want to know why they've got a grace and I don't. But evidently, he never says this of this particular grace we're going to look at. He never says any other church had it. The Macedonians were always being bragged upon for this grace. And what grace is that? The Macedonian grace was their ability to give offerings and financially support the gospel. And one of the things Corinthians 8 lets us know is that they were very poor. And yet in their poverty, they were able to give abundantly above their own measure and ability because they first gave themselves to God and to the apostles. So in a sense, this might be a stretch doctrinally or theologically, it seems to me they might have been one of the poorest of all the churches and yet they were known for their giving. Because grace abounds when you have nothing to offer. Grace abounds when your ability runs out. When you're weak, then are you strong. Isn't it amazing that what Paul said was a weak and poor church had the only testimony of financial liberality? How the Philippians were known for it a little bit in Philippians 4. But that's a Macedonian grace. He never brags on this grace about any other church. This church said, we got nothing else to offer, let's give. We got nothing to give, then we got nowhere to go but up. And they developed this thing by the hand of God. This is what they're still known for all these 2,000 years later, the grace to give. Look at Titus's grace, 2 Corinthians 8. In so much that we desired Titus that as he had begun in the Corinthian church, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. What same grace? Macedonian grace. It's the same text. It's the same train of thought. He's, they're bragging on the Macedonians. And Paul says, and I'm wanting Titus to come back and finish that teaching he started with you because I want to develop this grace in you as well. It lets us know that graces can also be developed. Therefore, as you abound in everything. So here's, here's a list of the graces the Corinthians were abounding in. Faith, utterance, knowledge. They had a grace for diligence your love towards the apostles, your leadership, see that you also abound in this grace also. Again, what grace? Macedonian grace. I think it's perfectly acceptable to say, Lord, I want to be able to do this for you better. I've, maybe you've experienced this, but in my travels and in my rubbing elbows with great ministers of the gospel, I get around them for a week or two or three. I get away from them. Their ability has rubbed off on me and I find myself operating like them. I find myself maybe preaching like them. I find myself thinking like them because that grace rubbed off. And especially when it's a biblical thing in the will of God, you certainly can teach people uh, the graces of God and watch them flourish. All I have to do is teach on hospitality for a month and all of a sudden your grace for hospitality increases because it, it corresponds right with faith. You say, well, we need to be more hospitable. Well, how do we do that? I don't know. Let's find somebody in the church that has pioneered this thing or who has it by the hand of God and let's get it working in our life. Something's wrong with the Christian that won't open up their home for the saints. In fact, 3 John, Diotrephes. 3 John nails a guy named Diotrephes and John says, when I come, 
I am going to expose Diotrephes openly because he resists me and he won't let the saints help other saints in their home. Diotrephes is known forever in heaven because he opposed the gospel and he wouldn't let the church be hospitable. Something, the, the, now John's known as the love apostle. He's just lovey-dovey in all of his gospel writing and all of his epistles till you get to 3 John. Then he says, Diotrephes, when I come to you, I'm publicly exposing him for the fraud that he is. Read it. Read it in New English Translation. Read it in the NIV. And you'll realize that lovey-dovey John, he's still a little bit of a son of thunder. <laughs> and the problem was the uh, hospitality issue, one of the problems. Titus's grace. Apparently, Titus had the grace of liberal giving working in his life, and he administered in Corinth to impart this. That's why we have different ministers come in. We'll have evangelists come in to impart the grace of evangelism. We'll have great ministers like the Moraleses this morning who have a, a healing anointing that works evidently in, in a worship thing in their life so that it can impart into us and bring what we need. And we'll have other pastors come in so you can see pastoring from other perspectives. We'll have Dr. Barclay in because he's a prophet and he can impart the prophetic grace. That's why we have these graces in so we can wash one another and 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 uh, supply the needs to one another. With the Macedonians being such eager givers, Paul desired for Titus to return to Corinth to finish, the te finish teaching the Corinthians this grace. Paul bragged on Corinth for abounding in the grace of faith, utterance, knowledge, diligence, and love, but they also needed liberality working in their life. Any good pastor will look at his flock and say, we're lacking here. Let's teach on that for a season. Just like any good parent will say, you're turning orange, honey, time to lay off the carrots. Let's eat something else. Or you know what? Your teeth are rotting out. Probably need to dial back on the sugar. Let's give you a balanced diet. That's the job of the pastor is to give the church a balanced diet. Grace for contentment. Almost done here. Grace for contentment. Looking at multifacets of grace and, and hopefully encouraging you to realize that God's called you to do more than just what you like. And you've got to embrace that. And probably God's called you to do more than you have done. We've been given one life, and it's not our own. And therefore, we are st we're to stop feeling sorry for ourselves and get up and do something for God. I have found when you start chasing the problems in your life, they never go away. But I've also found if you just get up and build the kingdom, a lot of your problems just blow away in the background static of noise. And it's almost like some of the problems in our life are demonically inspired. And the more we give attention to them, the more they fester and grow. Some things, if you just ignore, they would go away. That's not true every time, but some things it is. And if we just, Brother Summer, I'd say we always get in trouble building our kingdom. Sometimes chasing problems in your life is your own kingdom building. But if we would build God's kingdom, some of that other stuff would just pass away. Just ignore it and serve God and watch, watch the devil get his feelings hurt because you're not giving him any more affection or worship. Grace for contentment, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And the Lord said unto me, my grace is sufficient. Nobody wants to hear that. The Greek says, my grace will make you content. That's what the word sufficient is in the Greek. My grace will content you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore... I don't like Paul's writing. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, we know the subject here is the thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, or the angel of Satan, as the Greek reads, sent to buffet him, lest he be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations that was given unto him. 
I have found pastoring and doing ministry now that there's always going to be a problem at hand. There's never a season where you don't have something you're dealing with. Because if you ever found a season where you weren't dealing with something, you wouldn't need God. Every ministry, every missionary friend of mine, every pastor friend of mine, they're always dealing with something. And before long, you just learn. It's just the burden you carry. And it's nothing. It's just the hum of background noise. It's the hum of ministry. And when you're, when you're a baby Christian and something lands on you, you freak out and you think your world is over. But as you grow up, there's always going to be something landing on you, always going to be something buffeting you. You're always believing God for something or having to find wisdom for something. But the grace of God will come upon you to satisfy you. No matter what problem you find, it's not going to be done until it's done. And in between it now and it being done, you got to have some joy and some contentment. Grace comes to do that. And the second that thing gets resolved, guess what? There's another bullet in the clip coming up behind you to harass you. As a pastor, I call it Smothers Brothers plate juggling time. And I'm spinning 50 plates and there's always five wobbling and three on the ground broken. But if I got 90 plates spinning, I'm doing pretty good. And there's always something being dealt with. And as soon as I repair a family or repair a situation or fix something that's going on behind the scenes or in the administrative aspect, get that going, three plates start wobbling over here. And what it is called is job security and a desperate need and dependence upon God Almighty. If we could do this of our own ability, it wouldn't be God. It would just be business. Amen. In this famous passage of scripture, Paul is describing a demonic attack he was under for having great revelation and for being used so mightily of God. He wanted this attack to go away. And everybody said, (laughs) it never will. It'll only be replaced. Satan departed Jesus for a season. Something else came back and buffeted him. He asked and asked that the demon might depart from him, but God said, my grace is sufficient for you. It will make you content while you are going through this. Nobody wants to hear that. Some, we're faith people, right? I mean, we have 50 years of Brother Hagin's faith teaching and, and Brother Copeland and Norval Hayes, and we, we want to just faith everything away. I don't know if you find a greater faith giant than Paul and the Lord. He said, if anybody had faith, it was Paul. Lord, remove this. And the Lord said, No. Learn about grace. Learn about my ability to sustain you. There are some things the Lord just won't remove. Because if he did, you wouldn't need faith in the first place. Now, that's hard on our word of faith doctrine, but we got Bible doctrine that we have to work into word of faith doctrine. Uh, Grace equips you to endure anything. Remember, we define grace as heaven's help, God's unmerited favor, God working in and through you to accomplish the things you couldn't possibly do yourself. So it would only make sense when you go through hell, when you go through hell and you smell like the hell you're going through, that grace brings you out through the other side. If you do this enough time, Romans 5 says it will develop character in you. Patience works experience. Excuse me, tribulation works patience. Patience works experience, which is the word character, proven character. We want to be able to go somewhere in God without having to go through anything. You can't go anywhere without going through something. Too many Christians in this postmodern word of faith era, postmodern teaching revival, we're just theoretical Christians who have a huge knowledge base of information we've been taught for 34 years, but we have no experience. We're theoretical Christians, not practical experiential Christians. I'd much rather sit down with somebody who knows nothing but has been through everything 
than to sit down with a know-it-all who's done nothing. Or we call it know-it-alls, do-it-nothings. We have to be prepared to go through stuff. On top of that, we've all been through something. We're all going through something. And when we're done with this, we're all gonna go through something else. And God's grace makes us content. And the wonderful thing is, well, did it work? Sure, it worked. You're still here. And you're battle-hardened. And your legs are stronger. And your muscles are bigger. And your teeth grit harder. And you're not moved as easily. I was watching a military movie a couple years ago. And it was just such a subtle scene in this movie. The newbies, you know, they've just landed in wherever it was in the Middle East, and they get out of the Humvee and they instantly start taking small arms fire and they start ducking. And here comes the grizzled sergeant. He's just walking upright, has his helmet half off. He's not even moved by small arms fire anymore. He, it's just like he's just grocery shopping. It's like he's about to load the Humvee full of milk and cookies. And all the new guys, they're screaming and they're laying down and they're pulling their helmet down harder. And this guy, he's still putting his hard hat on as he gets out the other side and bullets are splinking all around him. And the, the point was this guy's been around a while and nothing moves him much anymore. The new guys have no experience and they're already pay, uh, crying out wanting to go home and pay for a trip home to mommy. And until we're willing to go through something and be grizzled, we're not gonna have much fortitude about us and we'll crumple very easily. Grace empowers and activates long-suffering in your life. Now, long-suffering is different from patience. The Greek words are different. One word's hupothumio. That is uh, long-suffering, which literally means to endure hyper-fire. Hupo, hyper, thumia, heat. That's long-suffering. The difference between long-suffering and patience is patience, you sit and wait, While you drive 26 miles, long-suffering is you run 26 miles. Long-suffering means you wait while you're inflicted pain or have pain upon your life. Anybody can be patient. It takes the fruit of the Spirit to be long-suffering. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Final grace. There's a lot more to look at, but we only get 45 minutes for Sunday school. 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we should probably know it better, that though he was rich... Yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. This is the grace of God that allowed him to take on the form of a servant and become obedient unto death. We need to know this grace. Too many of us, we want to live perhaps in our minds as great kings and great bosses. And we've never learned about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that that demands and enables us to come and take on us the form of a servant. Riches doesn't just mean money. Riches may be high position in life. You maybe think you're too rich to be serving. That's beneath me. It's beneath me to go door-to-door evangelizing. It's beneath me to wait tables in the local church. It's beneath me to clean the urinals. It's beneath me to be a door greeter. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, remember, though he were God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but took upon him the form of a servant. That's grace. No matter how high or how fancy you think you are, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ can come upon you if you want it to and teach you to humble yourself and be a great servant. I met a guy named Henry a while back from Nigeria, and he goes to a church I'm familiar with in Lagos, Nigeria, a church of 50,000. And uh, he was telling me, he said, in my church, we have a lot of the politicians that come and they come in their armor plated Mercedes with their entourage and their bodyguards because that's what you have to do as a politician in Nigeria. He said, but when they come to the house of God, even these mighty politicians, it is not beneath them to get on their knees and clean the church toilets like the rest of us because they are servants of God. I thought, 
We need that in the American church a little bit more. These guys show up in armor-plated Mercedes with machine gun bodyguards, but they come to the house of God, they'll roll their sleeves up after service and clean the toilets with the rest of them. That's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, to leave heaven, born of a virgin, born among squalor and, and barnyard, and, and die on a cross. That's a grace. And thank God we don't have to die on crosses, but we can die to ourselves take up our cross and follow him, right? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ allowed him to take on the form of a servant and become obedient unto death. This grace will teach us and equip us to be servants and enable us to become obedient and learn to lay down our lives one for another. Here in America, we don't want to be inconvenienced. I mean, it's not like we're doing anything, just living on Facebook, but the grace of God will allow us to have our life interrupted to help one another and to reach out to people, to preach the gospel. God's grace is given to equip us for the task at hand. And I declare, may we endeavor to be strong in the grace of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Father, I thank you for this Sunday school. We thank you for these lessons on biblical grace, true grace. May it flourish in our life. May we glorify you through our life. And may we do things we never thought possible. Teach us, Lord, to embrace the things we would rather not like if we were carnal. Father, we declare we serve you. Grace us, Lord, to please you. In Jesus' name, amen.